comes from John chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. For the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said to them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want, me, want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated if you're standing. As we come to God's word, we need his help. So let us begin with a moment of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, that it penetrates our hearts and does a work in us through your spirit. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to be changed. Help us to see Christ, that we might worship him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you remember from last week, our sermon, we've, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and earlier in chapter 9, uh, we were introduced to this blind man who was a poor, lowly beggar. He had been born blind, so no doubt would have been somebody who couldn't work and just relied on the pity and mercy of others. And Jesus sees this man, and he heals them. He gives him sight. He has him put mud on his eyes and go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And Jesus says that he is the light of the world. And now this happened on a Sabbath day. Once again, Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath and it enrages the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time. And the man was brought to the temple to be questioned. The, the, the Pharisees wanted to understand what had really happened. How could this really happen? Is it really true? And after listening to the man, they didn't believe his testimony, so they brought his parents to say, Did he, was he really born blind? 
His parents say, yes, he was born blind, but they refused to align themselves with Jesus. They said, essentially, look, we know he was blind from birth. We don't know what happened since then. He's old enough to speak for himself. Let him speak. We don't want to get in the middle of this. And we're told that John tells us uh, that they were afraid. They were afraid of being cast out of, of the temple. Uh, alienated from the worship of God at the time here in Israel. And so that sets us up for our passage today. There's actually two scenes that really take place here. One is in the temple. The Pharisees again interrogating this healed man. And then the other one is outside of the temple when Jesus goes and finds the healed man and they have this interchange. And these two scenes they are creating for us a great contrast, a contrast between the thoughts and the actions of the Pharisees and the thoughts and the actions of this healed man. Jesus is drawing out this image of two different types of blindness because Jesus is the light of the world and he shows the world how blind we truly are. And so the question for us that we want to consider as we go through this passage is this. Do we see ourselves as blind? We begin in verse 24. We're told that it's the second time they bring the man into the temple to to talk to him, to understand this story. And they say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. So, it's a little bit of a weird phrase, but what they're saying here is not, uh, you know, praise God that this sinful man, Jesus, healed you. What they're saying is, you ought to glorify God by telling us what really happened. Tell us the truth. Come on, tell us the truth. We know this man is a sinner. You need to honor and glorify God by telling us what really happened. The man responds to the to their beckoning to give them more information. Perhaps they think that he's left something out. And he says, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is, is that I was blind and now I see. This man is, is humble. He's not claiming to understand all the things that are at play here. He doesn't claim to understand everything about who Jesus is. He doesn't even claim to know whether or not he's a sinner. He doesn't have special knowledge. He's not a a learned person. He's not anybody who ought to be, you know, teaching people in the temple. He doesn't claim to have special insight. He just claims to bear testimony to what's happened to him. The Pharisees then go on to say, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The man responds, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? So perhaps they're looking for some missing information. They want to hear his story again so they can try to understand. But I think probably more likely is that they're trying to discredit this man and his testimony. Because if he were to tell them the account again and they could find a way in which his story didn't line up with the way he said it the first time, they could find a contradiction and dismiss his testimony altogether. He doesn't understand why they're asking again. He says, well, maybe you want to become his disciple too. Of course, that idea is 
quite offensive to the, to the religious leaders. They, they don't like Jesus. They think he is a false teacher. They think he's leading the people astray. And so they revile him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. So they're creating this contrast between being a disciple of Jesus and a follower of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, as for Jesus, we don't know where he comes from. And so they're bringing up this idea of authority. How do we know what God has revealed to his people, what he has said? Jesus is claiming a lot of things. He is claiming to speak for God. He's claiming to be divine himself. And so he is making big authoritative claims. And they're saying, we're going to stick with Moses. Now, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes at this time. Because it's not just that they want to uh, take the readings of Moses, the law, which, of course, Jesus fully agrees with and upholds and teaches. But there's also this oral rabbinic tradition that throughout the ages, the rabbis have, have put in place rules as to the application of the law. And these people are viewing those rules, those traditions, as being on par with Scripture, just as authoritative as the very law of Moses. And of course, that includes what you can do on a Sabbath day. Laundry lists of things and details about how many steps and all of the things that you can and cannot do and all of these scenarios for how to judge rightly what's allowed and not allowed on the Sabbath and the reason there's a great contrast here is because Jesus is not following the tradition of the rabbis. He is not violating the law of Moses, but he is violating the tradition of the rabbis. And so Jesus is challenging this authority, and they're saying, we're sticking with the tradition. You can't have it either way. Either you are going to follow the path of Jesus, the one who is bringing this revelation, the one who is revealing to us God's word, or you're going to stick with the tradition of the rabbis. And the Pharisees here are telling them that they are sticking with the received tradition. They can have confidence because it's been received from people who've come before them. They're uncomfortable with the things that Jesus is saying. The man responds to give somewhat of a defense for what's going on and, and his view of Jesus. He says, why, this is an amazing thing that you do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This man is convinced that Jesus was sent from God. He, he earlier confessed to the Pharisees that he was a prophet. They said, what do you say about the man who healed? He said, he is a prophet. He's the one who's revealing to us God's will. And he lays out this case for why this is true. These accusations of the Pharisees. He's surprised that they don't know who he is. These are the guys that are supposed to be in charge of the religious life of the people of Israel, and they don't know where Jesus came from? That's surprising. And if he was a sinner, now don't think of sinner as in the sense of uh, here as just, you know, the, the, the difference between a sinless person and a, and a sinner, right? You're talking about like a terrible, wicked sinner, you know, someone that you can just write off. 
That's the idea of sinner here. If he was a sinner, God would not work through him. That's essentially the, the argument he's making here. God works through those who worship him and do his will. The people who are faithful to the covenant, those who are here, who are worshiping in the temple, who are seeking to do God's will, those are the answers to prayer that God will grant. Not only that, this miracle is unprecedented. Even throughout all of the Old Testament, there are a couple of healings of blind people, but none of those people were born blind. And so, not only is this miracle extraordinary, it's unprecedented, and it's far greater than any of the previous healings. So we must conclude, given all of these things, God's at work through this man. This man was sent from God. Now, whether or not this logic is sound, whether or not this is the best biblical case to make for Jesus being from God, that doesn't seem to be of any interest to the Pharisees. They don't engage with his argument. They don't correct his misunderstandings of why the things Jesus is doing is wrong or, or why these things can happen in his hand. They are not interested in engaging him on this level. Instead, they are filled with pride and indignation and they simply move on to slander him. We talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago when a, when a fight, a debate doesn't go the way that you want it. Perhaps you just go to mudslinging and that's what's happened here. They are just not going to have any of it. And we're told in verse 34, they said to him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. That's the response to his argument that, indeed, God must be working through this man for these very reasons. It makes sense to me. And instead of engaging with him, they attack him as being someone who was born in sin, unable to teach them, nothing that they need to listen to, and then they cast him out of the temple. Do you remember back when this blind man was first introduced, the disciples, they said this, to Jesus, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This assumption that this man's condition is a result of sin is the same assumption that the Pharisees are using here to write this man off. Clearly, if he was born blind, he was born in utter sin. And therefore, God is judging this man, and therefore, we don't have to listen to him. You're going to teach us, oh sinner off the street? It's very dismissive of this man and the miracle that's just happened. And then they cast him out. Now, when you see that cast him out, they didn't just like tell him to go away. This is the equivalent of excommunication from the temple. They're cast out. You're not allowed in the temple anymore. The disciples of Jesus are not allowed to come into the temple. Now, as we talk about church membership in our church, one of the things I try to highlight is that church membership is supposed to be a representation of your standing in the kingdom of God. If you are in good standing of a church, that's a testimony from the lived body of the people of God saying that you belong. And if you fall under church discipline or are kicked out like this, that is supposed to be a sign that we have very little to no confidence that you are in the kingdom of God. You are in great danger. 
And that's what they're communicating to this man. You have been excommunicated from the people of God. They are pronouncing God's judgment on this man. The great irony here, though, is that the man that God's works are being displayed in, the man who has received this great miracle, the one in which God has worked through and now is working in, is somehow deemed unworthy to be among the people of God, unable to come into God's presence in the temple. The divide here is getting stronger and stronger. And that ends our first scene. And the second scene now happens as he has been kicked out of the temple. He is out there and Jesus finds him. It's probably nearby the temple as there are Pharisees nearby. And it seems to be a continuation of the scene. Jesus heard that they cast him out and they found, he found him and he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, just a little bit of background here. What is the Son of Man? Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man a number of different times in John's Gospel. He also refers to himself as the Son of God. And there's these two different titles that go along with Son of Man. And if you look throughout Scripture, there are many places where it's used. One is just to refer to mankind, uh, the, the sons of men. But in particular, it refers to this other office. If you go to the book of Ezekiel, he is referred to as the Son of Man nearly every single time. The Lord spoke to the Son of Man, and he said, Son of Man, do these things. And Ezekiel is referred to the Son of Man, so it's, a, and it's an idea of, of a prophet, and the one who reveals God's word to the people. But there's also this prophecy in Daniel that talks about one who's going to come like the son of like the son of man to daniel chapter 7 says this i saw in the night vision and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like the son of man and he came to the ancient of days that is god on the throne and it, and it was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him his Dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This promise of one like the Son of Man who's going to come, he's, he's like the Son of Man, he's like the prophet, and yet he is greater because he is given from the throne of God all of this power and authority and dominion. He is the one who is going to rule and reign forever. So Jesus asks this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now remember, this blind man has never seen Jesus. He put the mud on his eyes and told him to go wash, and they did not see each other afterwards. He knew that Jesus was his name, but he did not understand what he looked like. And Jesus replies to him and says, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And the man responds, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The, this word worship is not the same in every place right here. This is the word that really means to prostrate oneself. To fall down before another. That's the scene we have happening here. This man who was blind, who didn't really understand much about who Jesus was, was trying to figure it out, finally can see him. Jesus says in verse 37, 
You have seen him. And now, for the first time, he is beginning to see Jesus for who he really is, the Son of Man. And his response is to fall on his face and to confess him as Lord. Jesus goes on to explain what he's doing. He says, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that, we, now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Anytime Jesus uses a phrase, I came into the world, we ought to have our attention piqued because he's telling us the very mission of why he came. Of course, there, there are many things that Jesus came to accomplish. Ultimately, uh, he came to die for the sins of his people, but here he's telling us that he came for the sake of judgment. Those who don't see might be able to see. And that those who already see would become blind. There are two types of people that Jesus presents us with. And they're, they're shown to us in these two different characters. That contrast I brought up earlier about how we're being contrasted with the Pharisees, what they think, what they do, versus this blind man who has been healed. The one who is blind who can now see. And the one who claims to be able to see is becoming blind. Jesus, he's the light of the world. And the light that he brings, it ought to cause us to see our blindnesses. But oftentimes we're blind to our own blindness. As ironic as that sentence sounds. And when we think of the idea of blindness, it's one that is throughout Scripture, and it's one that we ought to know a little bit more about. It's a theme throughout Scripture that really refers to a spiritual condition, but, I mean, we even use this phrase of speech in our own time. Uh, if somebody was taken advantage of, right, and they didn't quite understand a situation, we might say something like, uh, he was blinded by love, or... Uh, she was blinded by greed. Uh, something has caused a person to be blind to the reality of the situation they're in. They're acting in a way that is clearly inconsistent with what truly is happening. They're being blinded by something else. And that imagery of blindness is, is being used throughout Scripture and especially here about the spiritual condition of people in the world. These Pharisees, we're told that they say, we see. And yet Jesus is telling them that they are blind. They've been blinded. It is a spiritual condition. It is a theme of judgment throughout the Old Testament. It's often paired with the idea of being deaf. In fact, it's very pointed in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. You might be familiar with this passage. And he says, um, Who shall we send? Who will go for us? Right? And this is the great missionary passage that you often see plastered on, on, a, on a poster somewhere. And, and it stops right there. Here I am, Lord, send me. 
Here I am, send me. And what is he called to do? Beginning in verse 9, he says, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Isaiah's mission is to go and to proclaim God's word that it might cause them to be more deaf and more blind to what God is truly doing. He's going to pronounce these things and it will be for their judgment. The idea of blindness and deafness is one in which their spiritual condition is bad. And so Jesus points out these two different types of blindness. Those who were already blind and can now see, and those who think they can see and are now becoming blind. That is the judgment Jesus is bringing, just like Isaiah came and proclaimed God's word. And unfortunately, the reality was that the people would not hear it. They would not understand it. They would not respond to it the way they ought to have. And so going back to our question for today is this, do we see ourselves as blind? The man who was born blind knew his condition. He knew that he was helpless. He knew he was unable to see. We see in his actions the great humility, the great thankfulness, the the proper response when he sees who Jesus truly is. Ultimately, that belief And worship of Christ was given to the one who had sight. He was blind. He confessed his blindness. He he understood the situation the way it was. He was a needy, poor beggar. And not only did Jesus heal his eyes, he heals his soul. The Pharisees are the ironically blind characters in our story. They say, we see. Jesus tells us that their guilt remains. They don't see themselves as blind. They are the enlightened ones. They already understand. They don't need their eyes to be opened. They're blinded by their own righteousness, their own pride, their traditions, their pointed The most pointed thing that they're blinded by is their own sin. These men see themselves as being able to see. There's not a problem right now. And so when Jesus comes and reveals the word of the Lord to them, himself, they're only blinded all the more. These are the two types of blind people in the world as Jesus, the light of the world, comes. And so we must ask ourselves, what are the things that are blinding us from seeking more fully to see Jesus? Are we blinded by our own self-righteousness and pride? I'm sure we're all prone to those types of things. Are we blinded to adherence to traditions that go beyond what God has said in his word? Things that exclude people who should be in the kingdom but are not? 
Are we aware of the pervasiveness of sin in our lives that digs so deep into our hearts that it affects everything about who we are? That sin affects our thoughts, it affects our emotions, it affects the way for us to be able to have logic and reasoning? Are we blinded by our sin? As Jesus speaks his words, as he comes into the world, as the light of the world, may we see ourselves for who we truly are. Blind, helpless beggars in need of undeserved mercy and grace. May we confess our failures. May we find healing in Jesus, the only one that can make us well. And as this passage ended, to remove our guilt, that it might not remain our greatest need. As the book of Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May his spirit give us eyes to see, ears to hear. May we blind beggars be healed that we might see Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the work of your Spirit in our lives. May it open our eyes to the ways in which we've been blinded to the truth. May we believe in Christ and worship him. May we turn away from the things that are causing us to look at other things. Blinded by our own self-righteousness and pride and, and sin and all of the things that draw our attention away from Christ. It's a work that only you can do in our lives and in our hearts. We pray that you would help us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.